Hi, so uh, welcome to this uh, catch-up. Um, I've got a very special guest for catch me today. Catch-up? No, it's a chinwag. <laughs> no, it's a catch-up. No, it's a chinwag. No, it's a catch-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a very special guest for me today. So if, if you'd like to introduce yourself, special guest. Uh, special guest. It sounds like special agent, doesn't it? <laughs> special agent, Mike Laverick, uh, coming at you through the airwaves. Yeah, so this is kind of a bit of a special thing because we're not only are we doing a, a V catch up, but we're also doing a a chinwag at the same time. Yeah, so work that one out. It's a mashup. <laughs> uh, well, I like what you were saying before. You know, you, I think you put in a um, tweet to me before. Um, uh, what is it? The the wag man is V catch up. V catch up, something like that. It, it flows <laughs> off the tongue, obviously. This 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 way of sort of uh, mashing up words together. I liked it. I liked I, I, I'm very. Uh, it's a really original idea that you've come up with this uh, V catch up thing, where you uh, every week you speak to some notable person in the. Yeah. Where did you get that idea from? I don't know, mate. No, no. Look, look. <laughs> I do want to say that this is a this isn't a really important V catch up to me. And like, look, before I've done, you know, I've talked to people like Stephen Herod and Bergenal Baganski and uh, now you're scraping Stewart the barrel and all that. But like. <laughs> For me, you know, a lot of this, you know, it was because of being, you know, talking to you, seeing you at a VMUG and, you know, getting to know you sort of thing that, that like this really came about, you know. So, you know, I kind of see you a bit of a mentor sort of thing, Mike. So, you know, firstly, I just want to thank you very much for letting me, you know, um, oh, just rain on the phrase. Take on, you know, take a, you know, like take, take, copy what you do, I guess, you know. Yeah, but, but look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, so. It's funny that you say that because occasionally, and this might be a bit of an ego trip, so apologies, is I read some stuff on, the, on people's blogs and I look at it and I go, God, I could have written this. And then I think, well, maybe my style of what I was doing back with ESX2 or ESX3 has had a, a little bit of an influence in the way that people present and write their stuff. Mm -hmm. I told you it was an ego trip. <laughs> but the same thing, but I, I think that's good. You know, what I really like about what you're doing and what I'm doing and what Lauren Mulholt is mm, doing yeah, with yeah. adapting IT yeah, is it's showing that uh, anyone podcast. with entry-level equipment can, if they've got the time and the volition, put a mm. show together which other people find valuable. Mm, and, mm. you know, back in the day, you know, this was only accessible to big corporates who had yeah, loads of money yeah, and yeah, studios yeah. and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. well, it's just like uh, blogging, I guess. Uh, video and audio now is accessible to anybody on the, on the planet. And it's not an expensive thing to do. The only expenses are the, the time to arrange it. And of course, mm. we do absolutely no preparation, so it doesn't require any time whatsoever. <laughs> we just press the record button and we go, don't I wrote we? some questions. <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of, I guess, where, you know, I, it is a bit different, is, is I like to you know, have a good set of questions. And, and what I've been doing, Mike, is, is actually having the same questions. And it was really good at VForum because we actually got a feel for what was going on and what was on people's Different mind answers at that to time. the same yeah, question. That's yeah, an interesting you know? approach. I mean, I've always so done emails backwards and forwards, but mm. usually what I've done with somebody like yourself is give the chinwagi the agenda yeah, yeah, because yeah. that immediately puts your guest comfortable because they're talking yeah, about something yeah. they're interested in. And then just see what goes from there, you know. What I always wanted to avoid with the chinwag and with the benderwag when I was doing them was that kind of, well, gee, Mike, that's a really great question. <laughs> and everybody knows how yeah, hokey the these kind of corporate yeah. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. predefined, invigilated yeah. by marketing and PR people who don't know mm. their, their shift key from their, their space bar, <laughs> you know, whereas it's just a bunch of guys talking, you know. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, look, look um, we're at... Um, we're live at Melbourne VMUG at this, this point in time, and, and Mike's just delivered a, a wonderful keynote speech, uh, Zero to Colo. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about that first? I don't know well, do I have a whole hour? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true, yeah. I did yeah. overrun. I, I have a catastrophic problem as a, as a presenter. I'm so used as an instructor 
I have five days to deliver content <laughs> and somebody gives you 45 minutes, I struggle. But in a nutshell, it's basically the history of my lab and how it developed, which I think actually is perhaps something I could trim down and cut. But it's more about how I reshaped vSphere mm. to work with vCloud Director and some mm. of the mistakes I made uh, in building out my vCloud yep. environment. Yep. Yep. And they're just trying to pass on those experiences. Mm. Exactly mm. what I did with ESX2 and Virtual Center. That's right. You know, yeah. How to do it. And oh, yeah. by the way, here's something that can go horribly wrong. And the reason I found out is I did it, you know, hands up, <laughs> know, being prepared to accept that you yeah. admit to yeah. that you don't do things perfectly all the well, time. Well, you know, if we don't make mistakes, we don't win anything, you know, so. Well, the anecdote I once used to have about that is years and years ago, I, I knew somebody who used to do the old service and support courses for Novalm. Mm. And it, this was back in like the SCSI day. Exactly. And uh, of course the rule back then was all external SCSI devices mm. should be mm. terminated. Anyway, this particular individual got sent to Dell tape device to rig to their Novell box mm. to do backups mm. of the site we were at. And I stuck my head around the door and asked this person, you know, how are you getting on? She said, uh, oh, I just can't make it work. And I said, of course, all external SCSI devices should be terminated, to which she did one of the early face palms. You know, oh my God. But it just goes to show you can tell people mm. there's this problem, there's this problem. But until you experience yeah, it yourself yeah, and it gets yeah, burnt into time, your synapses, yeah, yeah, yeah. the next time you see the problem, you go, yeah. I've seen that before. And there's only one way to get that, and that's, that's the, learning. Is doing, having the experience. You know? mm, mm. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, um, like I was saying before, I've got a couple of questions that I wanted to ask, and we kind of covered the first topic in a little bit. Um, the question was about, you know, what brings you here? Why, why are you attending the Melbourne VMUG this year? And, you know, um, what, what do you think of the user conference format? You know? I do. Uh, I like the fact that we have these user conferences, and I like the fact that it's spreading its wings outside of the domain of the US. Mm. So the UK had its second user conference ever. Yeah. Um, it's a great way, I think, of bringing different VMUGs together certainly in the UK because we're all quite clustered together mm. but we don't see each other that often. I guess it's different here because here it's like a, a super duper Melbourne VMUG. Yeah, whether people yeah. travel that distance, yeah. I mean obviously the sponsors do and me and you do, yeah. but whether it, it pulls people together is different because it's a different geography. Yeah, the, the distances make an impact today. Yeah. I like yeah. the fact that you've kind of done a very similar thing to what we did at the UK V uh, user conference last year, which is having a community track, mm. which is kind of ring fencing and preserving the essence of what a user group should be about, and then not allowing it to be basically a junket for vendors to sell yeah, their wares. Yeah. And that's an important, I think, for all mm. VMUGs is, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a necessary evil. You need mm. the sponsors to cover the events and to cover the teas and coffees and whatever and the internet mm. access. But if it becomes, if the user group becomes just a creature of vendors selling their wares, we've kind of lost the point of what the user group is all yeah, about. Yeah. And I think what you've done by having community sessions and a community mm. track mm. is the way to keep that. And mm. I was saying to you just last night, you know, the user conference runs once a year. Don't forget, you've got four of the meetings this year oh, where yeah. it's the real yeah. essence of what a VMUG yeah, is about. Yeah. Maybe one or even two vendor sessions and the rest of the day is it's free for you to what to do, you know. The, the, the difficulty here is, is bringing that community out. We're, we're not as mature. You know, I look on Twitter, you know, what goes on at London VMUG, and, you know, you guys have got it lucky because you've got a lot of independent people. You've got a lot of people who are active on Twitter. And here we're kind of, you know, we're kind of still catching up with that. You know, I, I found when I went to v, VMworld this, last year for the first time, you know, the maturity of social media is just bang, everyone's out there and everyone's doing it sort of thing. Whereas here, we're kind of a couple of years behind. And so I've kind of tried to use that community sessions thing to really like try and get these people up front yeah, and center I, I, and give I them would, a face. I wonder whether the reason that's happened is that each community is shaped by the local 
environment that mm. it's in. Mm. So it's, I don't think you should unfairly com uh, uh, compare UK to Australia or Australia to the US because it's a different culture and it's yeah. a different layout. Yeah, you're right, yeah. I mean, yeah. inside the London VMUG, you have about 10 or 15 V experts, maybe mm. even more. Mm. Last time we had a session was who put your hand if you're a V expert, and then the half mm. the room put their hands up. So it's a very but it's a very small uh, country, the UK. Yeah. It's densely populated, and you know, City of London, the square mile, is where some of the biggest corporate accounts yeah. are. Mm. So it's quite a unique little bubble, London. Yeah. Outside of London, it's much less uh, mature. The groups are much smaller. Some of them have only been started mm. less than a year, so they're in the same position as yeah, some of the yeah. the VMUGs elsewhere. But um, no, I, I think. Uh, the social media side of things and the blogging side of things is obviously quite strong within that particular group. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a bigger contractor kind of culture, yeah, as we're saying. Yeah, that independent contractor thing. And therefore contractors, yeah. A, they want to blog and be, have a high profile yeah, because yeah. that leads to engagement. Yeah, yeah. But also they've got a lot of time outside of their contracts to do things yeah, like this. Stop, start, stop, start. Yeah. Isn't it kind of I think thing, it's yeah. harder when you're an employee. But on the subject mm -hmm. of getting user sessions, the big thing I think helped the London VMUG a few years to get more user content was saying to people, the slot time is half an hour. Mm -hmm. The first five or ten minutes is you introducing yourself and what your subject is, and the last five or ten minutes is you taking questions. Therefore, we only really want you to speak for 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think that reduces the fear factor in somebody who's not used to presenting, yeah, yeah. getting them out yeah. there. And in fairness, as well, as if they're not very good, you only have them on for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, Whereas true. somebody, an hour slot yeah. is very intimidating. And mm. if they're not an engaging presenter, it's like, oh, God, yeah. you've got another 45 minutes of, I know I tried this, but yeah. it didn't work. We've been trying to put it down to 45 minutes for the session. So, you know, half like an hour. And, but also yeah. trying to sell it to them as, yeah. look, we only really want you to speak for about 20 minutes tops. It's a good, it's a good uh, strategy. Isn't I it? think the other challenge that everybody faces, and London is no different, is people who attend the user group tend to be a bit passive and sit and watch, mm. trying to get them engaged. And when you try and get them engaged, they thought, oh, well, my boss would never approve this. I'd never get approval. But yeah, we're not looking yeah. for people to reveal their IP addresses, domain yeah. names. We're looking for them to speak very generally about the problems that they've had and how they've resolved them, mm. uh, both from a business perspective, how did we get VDI off the ground, yeah, yeah, but also yeah. from a technical perspective. Yeah, yeah. And you know, let's face it, everybody has these problems. Let's all be honest and say that nothing gets ruled yeah, out. Of course, you yeah, know. Yeah. And it's a, I think if you can't be honest about the challenges you face within a user group where you've got trusted peers, mm -hmm. where else can you admit <laughs> to that? There's nowhere yeah. else, is there, really? No. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, that's good, yeah. Um, so one of the other questions I had was just around, uh, you know, like your commitment to your local VMUG. I mean, I guess like someone like yourself, you, your local VMUG spans many countries and many cities and... But like you know, um, obviously you're a big, big advocate of VMUG. But what, what kind of commitments do you make? You know, like what kind of stuff do you do? Well, prior to um, doing becoming coming on board with VMware, I I would probably just go to the London VMUG as mm. my regular gig because it was mm. it was the biggest, and I know I know a lot of the guys. Some of those guys yeah. have actually been students of mine uh, in the past. Um, and in fact, me and the chair of the London User Group mm -hmm. were on the same training course many years ago, which is how I got to know him. And I persuaded him to come along with the VMUG, and he yeah, eventually right. ended up taking over the role of the, the, the chair. Um, mm. Now, with being on board with VMware, it's part of my role to actually go to VMUGs. Mm. Um, when it comes to UK events, because you, you could just fill up your car with a tank of fuel and drive there, I could go to every UK-based VMUG if yeah, I want yeah. to. I mm. have to be a little bit more careful with... Amir events and obviously coming out here. Mm, so mm. the agreement I have with my, my boss is I do two VMUGs 
in you know elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, okay. um, and that it means I'm out there and being in touch with the community. Yeah. But it's not like I'm doing a V-mug every week because I've got my own stuff course, to do. Yeah, you know, yeah, I want to get course, in the lab yeah. and play around yeah, with stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I must admit, a lot of the stuff I've been doing is presentations like I did this morning, which yeah. I do enjoy doing. And it's good practice as well, getting up in front of a large audience. I would love to be able to do more education settings at a VMUG. I mean, I'm a former instructor. A 45-minute session doesn't really give me much chance to show off my technical knowledge. But the trouble I have found with it is, you know, you could probably give me a room where I would do a whole day worth of training, mm -hmm. but you'd end up cannibalizing other parts of the VMUG if yeah, you're not careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, We've kind of got that now with the VCDX bootcamp. You know, there's some brilliant content in it, but it's, you know, it's three 45-minute sessions, and I think it's a big investment for someone who's come, you know, they've got the day off work, they've come to the event. Well, one idea you know, I had... There's a lot of content. You know, one idea you know, I had when I was a VCI yeah. and I was still a certified instructor yeah. was, you know, I was coming out to a VMUG, say, the North Carolina VMUG, on a Thursday. Yeah. Why not run a course that week where the course runs Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is the VMUG day, Friday is the end of the course, and you actually roll the VMUG into the course. That's a really good idea, that is, yeah. And it, I, I thought of doing that as a way mm. of a, making revenue when I was a freelancer, mm. but also giving me a good reason to be in the US yeah, for a week. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, was, it was quite a difficult thing to spin up, but maybe by working with a VMUG, to yeah, say, look, yeah. I'm coming, I might as well do something yeah, yeah, for you, no, and then try to offer really that training to VMUG members, yeah, especially yeah, people yeah, who are new. Because yeah, yeah, I don't want to yeah. teach people stuff they know already. Yeah. But if we had the people who've just signed up for the VMUG, mm -hmm. haven't really, don't really know VMware, they're still putting their toes in it, offering them some sort of extended training at a nominal price or reduced price. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. logistics of trying to get that off the ground would be quite a challenge. But it, yeah, it's yeah, something that's yeah. there in the back of my mind because I'm still a frustrated instructor, really. <laughs> that's my problem, you know. Yeah, you'd like to get back into the whole uh, five-day course thing? Well, whole... you know, I'm, I've been out of the instructing for about two or three years. Yeah. I think the last course I taught was in 2009, and then very rapidly, and in a good way, I lost my VCI. Yeah, I'm still a Microsoft-certified yeah. instructor, even oh, though really I haven't, yeah. haven't taught a course since 2003. Yeah. Wow, but yeah. If I wanted to do, to do a Microsoft course, there's nothing stopping me doing yeah. it. The good thing about the VCI program is as soon yeah. as somebody gets dormant, you're out of the program. It stops people trading on credentials, which they're not actually using anymore. But I, uh, between you and me, maybe, I don't know, in five or ten years' time, when I've done this for a while and I'm ready to do something else, maybe I'll go back to the instructor. Yeah. I did really love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you do really know your stuff when you're an instructor. Yeah, because yeah, if you have to yeah. teach vSphere, yeah, install and configure yeah. every week or every other week, Mm. After about three or four weeks, God, do you know it inside and out? Well, you know, a good example is Alistair. Alistair Cook, you know. Mm. So, I mean, like, you know, if ever I've got a question, he's the guy I always asks because he well, knows, yeah. you know. He just you should always take the email address yeah. and Twitter ID of any instructor that you've got yeah. because they're usually more than willing to help former students. Yeah. And yeah. it keeps... The other thing is when you get asked as an instructor a question you've never been yeah, asked yeah, before, yeah, yeah. you go, uh, oh, I don't know. And then you go yeah. off and do some and research. You find out, yeah. And then the next week when somebody asks the question, you go, it's this. And everybody thinks, God, this he guy knows. knows everything. But what, what instructors learn from being with students is lots of different environments and lots of different questions. And you're sort of forged in the white heat of that barrage of questions every week to the point that once you've been doing it for six or seven months, you, you know your stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite intensive, isn't it? Mm, yeah, right, definitely, yeah. definitely. So look, um, a VChat wouldn't be complete without me mentioning the, the software-defined something. So... Software-defined <laughs> software. Yeah, so like I've well, been joking the hardware-defined data centers. 
So, like, uh, there was a lot of stuff about the Software Divine Data Center being announced at VMworld last year and stuff like that. And I know this year, you know, I, I, I noticed recently that, you know, people like Brad Headland and Scott Lowe have all been taken on board by VMware to work on the um, Software Defined Networking. I, I'd really like to get your opinion on that. And, and, and like, you know, um, I think it's something, you know, even in the keynote today, Tim Hartman um, talked about it. You know, so it's obviously something that's front and center for VMware at the moment. What insight can you give us on it? You know, what? Um, I've not touched NICERA at all, so I can't really give you much of a technical insight. Um, because I'm more, you know, like what's going on in VMware. Well, I've got, I've got some viewpoints on it, mm. and I'll say that these are my own personal views. I'm not, I'm not saying this is the VMware corporate line. That's why you're here, Mike. Because I think everybody, I think everybody, including yourself, mm. are asking these questions, and as, a, and as a community and as an industry, we will all be asking mm. ourselves what is the impact mm. and significance of it. I want to be part of the debate. I don't want to be yeah, a broadcaster. Yeah. Says, you know. yeah, yeah. But the way I see it is that there's going to be lots of software-defined networking. Mm. I think I read on a blog a couple of weeks ago that somebody had identified at least 14 or 17 different flavors of software-defined networking, mm. of which, for VMware, VLAN pools, which isn't really software-defined networking at all, but you could say a VLAN pool, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're spinning up new networks without having yeah, to yeah. do it on a, on a tooling-by-tooling basis mm -hmm. is one. Then you've got vCloud director network isolation. That's a kind of networking layering, the Mac and Mac address encapsulation. Then you've got VXLAN. Yeah, yeah yep, 16 million yep. yeah, networks yeah, in a yeah. single, requires multicast, which always scares mm -hmm. the bejesus out of people. Mm -hmm. And then we've got this NICERA thing that's, you know, is, is an acquisition. And that represents, what, three or four different ways of doing the networking out yeah. of these 14. Yeah, yeah. So the way I'm looking at it is where we are in software-defined networking is in a kind of evolutionary phase. Mm. Now, I, I know that phrase is loaded with loads of references, but I really mean evolution. I mean Darwinism. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 14 species who are all going to fight to be. <laughs> and which one will survive? It'll be the strongest and the fittest. Yeah. It'll be the one that has either the best ecosystem surrounding it. It may not be technic technically the best way of doing it, mm. but because it has enough support from the Adoption, ecosystem yeah. and it's backed by Cisco, or backed by VMware, yeah, yeah. maybe it will become the industry standard. Yeah. Or it will be because technically it is head and shoulders above everything else. Mm. And mm. from a technical standpoint, the people who want the best of breeds will pick that over one that has, may not be best of breeds, but best supported. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, already within VMware, we're offering different types of software-defined yeah, yeah. networking. Yeah, yeah. And I also feel that it will be, I look at what VXLAN, what uh, VCDNI, mm -hmm. I don't really know what the requirements are for NICERA just yet, what the requirements are. And some of those are asks of the physical network layer. Yeah, so I can yeah. imagine many yeah, customers yeah. are gonna look at the requirements and go, you know, this one here, it's not our ideal, but you know what? Our network teams will approve it very mm. easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one yeah. is our ideal, yeah, but our network teams are going to go, it's going to create a lot of politics. Mm. So we'll pick this particular form of software-defined networking because in our particular environment, it's the, it means we can take a right round our network team <laughs> and go behind <laughs> it. Yeah, so right. I, yeah. I, that's how I think it's going to yeah, shape yeah. out. So not not looking for a one killer software-defined networking, but looking at the flavors of software-defined networking that your virtualization vendor offers you, who then gives you the choice to choose yeah, the one that yeah. suits you. Yeah, yeah. What mm. excites me about VXLAN is I think it, we're not far off uh, network cards being VXLAN capable, switches being VXLAN yeah, capable, yeah. because Just you know this encapsulation that takes place, mm. 
it's not without an overhead. No, no, no. And just like we've offloaded um, the overhead of copying a virtual machine or thin provisioning yeah, yeah. a virtual machine yeah. using Vi and Vasa to the yeah. storage and layer. And back to the CPU, you know, like how yeah, you've embedded exactly. that into the hardware and not in the software. Yeah, know? so we, we need those hooks yeah, yeah. into the network layer yeah. to make sure you can do all this layering without it impacting yeah. on performance. That's a, a third-party ecosphere yeah, player. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of this software-defined networking isn't something that can stay within the boundaries of a particular no, ISV. No. It's got to be a mm. industry-wide process. Mm. As for Niceria, this is something I will say about it. Is I was speaking to a customer in Brussels a couple of months ago, mm. um, a large financial institution, you know, yeah, and they were complaining about the number of VLANs they have, mm -hmm. and asking me, you know what about this Nicera thing? And I said, you know, the acquisition only happened relatively oh, recently. Very recently, yeah. You know, and yeah. even internally in VMware, the, the guys are working on how Nicera is going to yeah. be, because it was a thing in its own right, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, how, that, yeah. how is that going to yeah, integrate yeah. within yeah. what we do already? Is it going to be something that can be had on its own? Because if you think about vShield, you can have vShield without having vCloud Director. Very true, yeah. You don't yeah, necessarily yeah. have to buy vCloud to get to, to get vShield. You could have network layering without network and security. Yeah, without necessarily having vCloud. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah, the way it's packaged yeah. in the suite, a lot mm, of customers yeah. are going to go for the whole top and tail. Mm. But there's nothing mandating that you must do that. Mm. You know, my interface to vShield isn't vShield, it's yeah, vCloud yeah. Director. So things go off on the vShield manager. I don't think about mm. that. Mm. But if I actually go into the vShield manager, there's a lot of stuff that's a granular stuff that's not being exposed all the way up to the vCloud layer because I don't need to see it. Yeah, well. So I think the Nicera thing is, you know, a work in progress. What I'm interested in, despite being an evangelist, is not like the big vision. Yeah, I'm yeah. as interested in what we've got How on the truck now. Yeah. What can we do right now? Because the thing I want to avoid is what other vendors do, which is talk about the jam that's coming tomorrow. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps <laughs> on this petty pace. Because yeah. you can always talk about features. What matters is the delivery mm, of that. Mm, so mm. I said to this customer, yeah, you know, Nicera, don't worry about that right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. Don't worry about that. Think about what your challenges mm. are right now. What can you do right now with technology which is GA'd and fully supported yeah, and available? Yeah. All things will come in time. You mm. know, don't run too ahead of yourself. And the funny thing about that discussion, you know, we hate VLANs, we have too many of them, is every time I talked about well, there are opportunities. Mm. So, well, well, is it secure? What will our network guys say? VLAN, it's all about security, they say. And yeah, they're like, no, yeah. VLAN isn't about security. It's yeah, never really yeah. been about security. And I mm. said to this particular customer, do you remember in the days of early uh, switch vendors that there was an exploit called VLAN flooding, where if you That's sent right, particular yeah. traffic types into the switch, yeah, all those walls of your VLAN VLANs, yeah. just disappeared, mm. and you could see every single frame. It, it's only as that firmware, and guess what that is? Software, software got better mm -hmm. so yeah. I said you know VLANs are as soft as any VCDNI mm -hmm. or as any uh, VXLAN yeah, yeah. it's just that the firmware got so good that it became as trusted as if it was an appliance yeah, yeah. that's know. a really good point it's a really so good point software making, defi defined networking software-defined storage mm -hmm. has been with us all this time oh yeah well it's you like know. cloud isn't it you know like you know that the whole outsourcing model and stuff was, has been there for ages, and mm. as soon as uh, we, we added a term for it, I've mentioned clowns in a V chat. Oh, sorry, yeah. 
As soon as someone put a name on it, everyone jumped on board and said, right, this is what we're doing. No, it's funny that you said that, because I said to my boss when I first came on board, the software-defined data center, which is our new message, Mm. is that partly because the term cloud has become so abused, misused, that it's become devalued as a currency of way of talking. And I said, where will we be in two or three years' time? Will software-defined whatever become as equally (laughs) based? And he said something very interesting to me, which was, possibly, but maybe that's not such a bad thing. If VMware has coined this term and the industry jumps on this particular bandwagon, yeah. that is moving industry on into mm. the way we're thinking. Mm. But let me ask you a question. Of course. Yeah. As this is yeah, a chinwag yeah. <laughs> and not just a VChat. Mm. What do you think about this software-defined networking? I mean, do, you, do you agree, disagree? What do, what do you think about that? Um, I think... What, um, what, what does NICERA mean to you? It's, I think it's really like... It, it's, it's seeing what's happened in the server in, industry and seeing how virtualizing servers is benefiting organizations, that whole agility, that whole I can pr- provision a VM in a, in a number of minutes instead of going through in a manual process that could take three weeks. That Seeing how that's changed organizations and then the whole platform piece with high availability, baking it into the platform, SRM, baking it into the platform, not doing it on a per VM basis, that, that kind of stuff. It's kind of a similar cycle again, and, and I think it's like, it's like you know, it's ding-ding round one again because the gloves are back on again, and it's like I'm going to have to have these fights with the, a whole different genre of people around, you know, because networking hasn't changed a lot in 20 years, you know, and, and so it, it reminds me, it harks back to being an evangelist in a side of a company, you know, three, four years ago and saying, virtualization, we need to do this, we need to virtualize our servers, look at these benefits, ah, but what about this, ah, but what about that, we'll never use VLANs, we'll never use da-da-da, all that kind of stuff, and it harks back to that, and I think, as I say, we're we're all going to need to put our gloves back on a little bit and go back into that uh, evangelist punching mode a bit and saying, well, these are the reasons why, these are the benefits, these are the, look, I'm sure it'll be easier this time, because we've gone through the process once, but definitely... I wouldn't say there's a fight on, but there is a there's a an argument and a justification that needs to be made. I think you know? you you've hit the nail right in the head. I've I, I've even said it's it's like I've just got into Doctor Who's TARDIS and gone back to 2003 mm. and 2004 because the same arguments that were made against server virtualization and to a lesser degree desktop virtualization that I heard back in 2003 2004. Guess what? They're the same goddamn arguments that you hear about this <laughs> cloud stroke software defined yeah. data center. I mean, back then, all I wanted was a bit of VLAN tagging. Maybe a major ask would be 802.3 uh, link aggregation because mm-hmm. I wanted to do load balancing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, voodoo technology, they would say. And, and the same with storage. You know, I don't want uh, 30 gig loans, thank you very much. I need at least anywhere yeah, between yeah. 300 to yeah. 500 gig loans. Yeah, that's, that's a big and you one would see is. crazy things yeah, like people yeah. asking for 10, 35 gig loans mm-hmm. so they could mm-hmm. stick them all together in a VMFS extent yeah, and get the volume yeah. size they really wanted. But I, I think, in a way, it's the same, but it's different. Mm. It always mm. is in our industry. Oh, yeah, no, there's yeah. nothing new under the sun, yeah, yeah. but every time uh, something new slant, isn't it, like, every time something yeah. new comes along, it's kind of very much like what we've done in the past. Mm. Uh, and I, what I've been saying to some people in the community is server virtualization for the, that Gen 1, if you like, last decade, mm. that was easy. We had it easy. Because at least the person who introduced server virtualization owned that part of the stack. He owned the mm, server. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So previously yeah. you used to put Windows on the tin mm. or Linux on the tin. Well, now you put ESX on the tin mm. and you put VMs on it. Yes, there was touching of the storage and the networking that were asks. IOPS and disk IOPS were as significant. 
but we weren't really asking too much of the network teams and of the storage mm. teams. Now we're asking for something that little bit more. Um, I think probably the way forward is rather than being a, us making an access of them, is some restructuring of the teams mm -hmm. such that I'm making requests <laughs> of colleagues. Now we've had that yeah, debate before. Yeah, I was going to say that reminds me. Yeah. We had a, a, a chinwag a couple mm. of months ago. The theme was infrastructure, the yeah, frustrations yeah. of infrastructure. Yeah, and yeah. I was asking you about how you'd restructured the mm. infrastructure to mm. try and make that process better. I mean, what I found very interesting about that discussion was the decision to change the way the teams were structured was very much based around the introduction of Technology-led. Yeah, yeah. technology-led. It was mm. UCS. Yeah, yeah. It was going to, we're going to manage the blades, the networking, and the storage as a stack, mm. rather than peeling them out and saying, uh, once the packet has left the network <laughs> interface of my server, over to this team, over yeah, to this yeah, team yeah. we support that end-to-end. Mm. -end. Mm. And so if, the, if you have a multiplicity team, you're not making a, a change management request to the network no, team, to the storage team. All, yeah. You're making a request amongst yeah, yourselves. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I even have a feeling that, in some degree, the small to medium-sized business model, where everybody has to wear multiple hats mm. because you don't mm. have experts, might be the way corporate IT gets structured in the future. Yeah. Because it's quite expensive to have a bunch of people who only do storage, mm. Mm. only do networking, only do servers. And yes, we do need specialists, but I think, to coin somebody else's phrase, we need T-style people. Yeah. People who are very strong in a particular discipline but people who are happy and interested yeah, in yeah. other layers. Yeah, people yeah. who are only interested in doing one thing, mm. people who are jack of all trades, they may not fit into this new model, but people who mm. are, are a bit mm. like you and me, mm. curious mm. people, interested in all different layers and how it all fits together, they're gonna be the, the system integrators of the future because you really need to know how all these you know, pieces yeah, fit together. They all, they're all integrated, yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting you say about the SMB thing because that's kind of, you know, I often when I, you know, if I'm looking at for a new opportunity or something, I'll look at my resume and I'll be, or CV or whatever you want to call it, and I'll say, well, you know, I haven't worked for any big banks. I haven't worked for these things. I've worked for a lot more smaller organizations. But what that's meant is that, you know, like, like where I am now, you know, I've done the networking, I've done the storage, I've done the server, you know, I've done the design side of it. So it gives me really good grounding to say, yeah, I know how storage integrates with network. I know how network's dependent upon this component. Mm. And I think that broad skill set has actually paid dividends. So, I mean, alongside this software-defined data center and, and basically allowing the system to do more automation for you, I think the future of this decade is more automation from an mm. orchestration mm. perspective mm. and from a scripting perspective. Puppet labs, that kind of stuff. Yeah, all of that is becoming really popular. Yeah. Why? And this is something I said at the Silicon Valley VMUG last year. Um, the, the history of virtualization so far is doing more mm. with mm. less. What do you think the rest of this decade is going to be about? doing even more <laughs> with even less. Yeah, yeah. And if the number of VMs that people are creating is increasing exponentially, mm, mm. do you think the number of people hired to manage that growth is also going to grow exponentially? Mm. Or do you think management and us as corporate IT or even SMB IT, are we going to have to become more efficient that one individual can manage more physical servers or more manage more virtual servers than they ever did? Mm. Done right it's going to be. Mm. I don't think you mm. can achieve that just with orchestration and scripting on its own. The actual tools we use should have that automation built into yeah, them. Yeah. You know? yeah. And y there's an awful lot of automation in vCloud Director that I see. It took me some time to set up the thing. But there's a lot of things I do now 
which I sit back and think, God, what would it be to do that if I had to do this all by hand? So even oh, VLAN yeah. pools, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. having to go into a switch and create a port yeah. group and put the VLAN We've ID on it, it. Yep. go down to the physical switch and make sure that VLAN mm, is there. Yeah. Um, I don't have to do that anymore mm, with vCloud Director. Yeah. It does it for me. You just set, all, set up a big list of them and then it will go and consume them as required. I, yeah. I create a new VAP which contains mm. 10 or 20 VMs. I ask for a VAP network that automatically puts them behind a VLAN if I wanted mm, to, mm. automatically puts a firewall and NAT in front of them, and then I decide what ports are open. Imagine powerful, having to do that by hand. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I've done recently, you talk about network teams. Mm, yeah. In my lab environment, which is at a Colo, I have a Juniper firewall, which the Colo provider said I had to have. Yeah, right. Previously, it was up to me whether I had a firewall in the previous Colo. That's how smart they were. <laughs> but um, I don't know anything about Juniper. And yeah. I don't particularly want to learn anything about Juniper, it's not what I do. So what I've got them to do is take two of my internet-facing IP addresses, 81, 82, 83, 84, that's my external IP address, no it isn't, and I've made them point that to the IP addresses of my mm. edge gateways. Uh, so now the perimeter uh, of my network is not the Juniper, yeah, it's, an edge, beyond, it's an yeah. edge gateway. Uh, now a lot of people said to me, ooh, that's dangerous. That sounds good though. Yeah, but behind mm. that is another edge gateway mm, mm. where my view environment is. So yeah. I'm already in a DMZ-style environment, DMZ purely already, in yeah. software. Mm. And the Juniper basically is any any. Mm. What limits what packets come through is my configuration on the... Yeah, yeah, you know what, yeah. that saved me already about £800 and having to raise a change request yeah, to the Colo yeah, yeah. to get one of their guys to manage the Juniper for me. Smart, yeah. It's already saving me money mm, and it's mm. within my domain. Mm. So I'm now, I'm now doing firewall management as if it, like I used to on my router at home <laughs> you know a lot of people have a router at home and they open up mm -hmm. some ports yeah, you know yeah, I do it every day, VPN mate, yeah. and RDP into their own stuff at yeah, home yeah. I'm now doing it in the home lab that's a complete change and that, mm. that's all happened in six months for me all new to me yeah that's there's some really interesting points there Mike yeah look um, we're about 33 minutes in I usually <laughs> go I usually go like 20 25 minutes yeah you know, I normally go for about 50 minutes or an hour. so should we meet in the middle somewhere should we have you, have you got another question you want to ask or something because we, we've probably got another five or ten minutes if you want to well okay um, I don't it, mind talking about here, you had a question for me which you haven't asked me which is probably mm. good because it's about futures but yeah, I'll ask yeah. you because it's easier for you <laughs> to talk about which is what do you think this year yeah or maybe next year is going to bring. What, what, what's your predictions for 2013 mm. as we're still practically still in the new year? It's, a good it's one. still snowing in the UK, so it doesn't it's really It's early days, me. isn't it? And yeah. it's, I think we're about 38 degrees today in, in Melbourne, so. He's um, just rubbing it in. That's what why I get you out here, mate, so you can you know, appreciate, appreciate the, sun. the sun. I know you just don't get much back at home, you know. I get sad, I get <laughs> s uh, seasonal yeah. uh, Adjustment dis dis disorder, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. what, what do you think the future is going to be? Look, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation about convergence. You know about um, you know hardware convergence. You know the old storage network convergence. You know I know there's a couple of really good products. Mm. I don't I don't want to name names really, but there's a, a I know Duncan Duncan Epping tweeted about uh, blogged about a few of them as well. And yeah, the, so there's a really interesting about market. <laughs> yeah, well I, I don't you know <laughs> like you know I could wear their shirt if you know like if they want to. Help me out. But, Sponsorship um, every time. Yeah, but uh, no, no, seriously though, like, uh, you know, th those kind of companies, th there's a lot of those emerging now. There's a big change in storage going on at the moment with Flash. We're finally seeing those those fruits around Flash and hybrid storage. I look at the vendors that are sponsoring the event today and there's a lot of small storage startups. A lot of people have come over for the US specifically to be here today. So I think that really gives us a good uh, example of like how, 
you know, the, the, the software-defined storage, the convergence of the storage compute and network technologies. I think that, you know, like there's some really good products out there that are changing the way people look at, uh, you know, how they build out the hardware in their environment. You know, mm. like this, particularly this idea that you just rack and stack and stack, you know, like, so I've got a But that's a very, a that's block, a very you know. hardware-centric sort. I mean, don't let me underestimate mm, the mm. flash, but more specifically, what are you hoping VMware will do this year? Or one question I've been asking mm. some of the S&B podcasts, is there something that VMware could do for you today that would make your life easier in terms of the software and the, that we're mm. producing? Is, it, you know, is there something when you go into vSphere or into any of the other products, you know, I really wish this was a feature mm. of the product. Is there, you know, is there something? Standardizing on a single management interface would be good. Yeah. So I know we're in an interim right now, and, that, and that's cool. You mean um, some of the products have different UIs yeah, and different Yeah, yeah. You know, like it was really good how a lot of the third parties started building plugins for vSphere client, and now we've got the vSphere web client. And so that, obviously, we're in a transition phase at the moment sort of thing. My bugbear is I use SRM, and so I've got to have two management interfaces because SRM is only on vSphere client. It's not on... The the C -sharp client. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then you know we're I'm trying to sell you know potentially uh, vSphere replication internally, so it means then that I'm going to have to have two management products to actually manage that yeah. combination. Not, and that's an interim thing. I know it's going to change, but that's kind of where I am right now. I mean, it's, I haven't really played around with the new additions of that. Mm. Is it still the? Can you manage vSphere replication from the C Sharp client? No. Not that I'm aware of right now. Yeah. Because you could in 5.0, you no. would get a plugin and well, you would enable. The appliance would be imported yeah. into vSphere and you'd get the radio button to choose vSphere replication rather than using array-based replication. Mm. That's well, well, I'm doing a design for my customer now and, and like for that, you know, I've specifically, and I've implicitly have to say, look, you know, you're going to have to use this tool for this and you're going to have to use this tool for this because they're not mutually So expensive. is it what you're really looking for, a single pane of glass? Oh, where's the bullshit button? <laughs> oh, can't say that, sorry. Yeah, where's the button, mate? I was hoping you were going to bring the I button, I should have brought it with me. You know, I've got know? this... Staples bullshit button from a mate of mine, uh, Charlie Gautreau, who's the VMUG leader for the Charlotte VMUG, mm. and I stu stuck it in my uh, rucksack, that, yeah. and it was mate. a very stuffed rucksack, <laughs> so as I went through American security, it would go, that ain't, that ain't horseshit, man, bullshit, really loudly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. not in front of security, but mm. yeah, I, I take your point, I mean, you could extend that a little bit further, the vCloud director UI is substantially different in look yeah. and feel to the the web client, mm, isn't it? And mm. which in turn is different from the, the vSphere client. Yeah, and the so viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my other thing, like you talk about vCloud, look, vCloud director for me, that's something, uh, like from being a VMUG leader, like um, I see a lot of people talking about vSphere and talking about vCenter, and I think that that's kind of the next big thing that, that you guys, and I guess that's why, you know, VMware took you on as an evangelist for vCloud director, is that there's a, you know, there's an education piece, and, and you're, you know, the the great work that you've been doing around your blog post and talking about your journey to vCloud, you know, it's really opened my eyes on a lot of things that vCloud can do. And I know, um, you know, you, you had a, a chin wag with um, Ed. Um, Grigson, yeah. Yeah, a couple of weeks back, yeah. Oh, no, we've got a continuity thing error now, never mind. But, um, you know, and he talked about using vCloud for test and dev, and I think that's kind of a really good piece that you've got there is around, like, when I did vSphere, when we did vCenter originally, it was all about, let's put it in test and dev, let's understand what it is, mm. let's put it there, and then using that as a vehicle, once the confidence there, to put it in production. Yeah, but, yeah. but for me, I'll finish now, for me, it's really about understanding more about what vCloud value is, vCloud director's value is. Mm. We talk about multi-tenancy, but that doesn't mean nothing to where I work. You know, there's only one 
organization. There's so not there is only many, one tenant. Uh, but if I can use that multi-tenancy to separate te test from dev from prod, I think, bang, I'm onto a winner. Because for me, internally right now, operationally, it's around having that effort to spin up a test environment. And, you know, Ed, Ed talked about it quite a lot. You know, all the, all the numbers that we've got, all the ducks that we've got to line up to get this test environment that's, that's relative to the production environment, but keeping it real, keeping it current, you know, and then spinning off duplications of components of that test environment into a dev environment. Man, if you could do all that for me, and I, and I believe vCloud's got some value there in doing that. If you can do all that for me, that would change a lot of what I do operationally. Sure. I mean, a couple of things I would say about that is I thought it was interesting that Ed made that usage case of test and mm. dev vCloud, because I think I might have said on the podcast or afterwards, most most of the people who are actually using vCloud Director are actually using it in test and dev environments. Now, that's a little bit because of, of, of the end of life of, of Lab Manager, mm, mm. Um, and it's a little bit because of the thing you said, that people are a bit reluctant to put production workloads mm, in mm. vCloud. The thing that I think which is often sort of misunderstood is your production VM in vCloud is still executing on the vSphere layer, on the ESX host, that you trust for your production VMs. Yeah, yeah. vCloud isn't in charge of the process management yeah. of that VM. It's trying to do some orchestration. Mm. So, I mean, if vCloud director is dead to the world, your VM keeps on running. It's a bit like, uh, uh, you know, like DRS or something like that. You know, if, if a host fails, you get a restart of the VM and, you know, mm. if virtual center is down, it doesn't mean your web tier is down. You know, mm. you, you've just lost a management layer, just. We all know how important that is now with all the other orchestration we're so doing. So you can take a good vSphere, vCenter implementation right now and overlay vCloud onto it straight away sort of thing. Yeah? I, I mentioned the word good. You know, I, like, think you you know. I think you should consider that. I think there are some challenges still about sucking up mm. from the vSphere layer into vCloud Director. Mm. I mean, for example, if you literally took an existing cluster and put vCloud Director on top of it and logged into vCloud Director, you wouldn't see any of your yeah, existing sure, VMs of course, yeah, because that's part yeah. of the point. It's introducing yeah. new abstraction yeah. layer. What you're then looking yeah. at is using something like vCloud Connector or perhaps uh, OVF exports to take the VMs that you really want uh, to live and be managed within the domain of mm. vCloud Director mm. into there. Um, I think there are still some challenges about achieving that. I think some people, when they look at that, start to think, well, should we actually have a spun-off instance of vCloud Director on mm. new kit? and then start to see the old vSphere layer we had as something that we gradually depreciate yeah, and slowly yeah. migrate to. The one thing I would say about the whole test and dev argument though, and I, I know why it's sad, mm, yes. I appreciate it, you know, a low hanging fruit, <laughs> yada yada, because there's, there's, low, there's low risk yeah. involved. But the trouble with taking a low risk approach is that then there's low benefits associated with it as well. Mm. I think one of the things that stymied the uh, growth and virtualization in the early years was a certain congenital knee-jerk conservatism about anything that's new. So mm. we'll run this in our test and dev environment first and kick the tires. Yeah, yeah. This is good yeah. for our DR environment. We'll run this in our branch offices, but our production environment, we're going to wait and wait and wait. Mm. Now, I understand in a corporate environment, people want a low risk, low barrier entry into a product. But as soon as you take that particular attitude, you always push into the long run the real business commercial benefits. Mm. Because um, unless you're a design house or unless you're a company like a, an online gambling mm. company that's constantly producing new applications and new versions and new bits of software, if your environment is relatively static, that kind of flexibility and fluidity doesn't really 
offer you the same benefits if you refuse to put a production workload in for them. But, but what about though if you were with the test and dev stuff? What, what if you were if you could prove mm. doing that test and dev that you've actually improved the productivity, you've improved, and, I, and I'm you know I'm really purposefully taking that the people slant and not necessarily the technology yeah, yeah. slant because if you you know like something like vCloud Direct, you can basically change how your organisation functions on an IT level. Mm. If you can show that and demonstrate that, doesn't that then, you know, at the end of the day, ka-ching, it's less dollars, it's less, you know, less time and effort that we're doing on, you know, break fix and those sort of things and looking more at, well, what are the yeah, new yeah. applications coming through? Let's look at the application stack. Let's look at the, you know, like if you're getting that sell internally, mm. surely then your, your organization is going to turn around and go, do you know what? We need to we embrace this. Production. We need to go further. Yeah. Well, I mean, I used to get people saying this in the early VMware courses in 2003, 2004. You know, Mank, this will virtualization will be test and dev only. This mm, will never make mm. it to production. Yeah, yeah. And I used to say to you, I, I used to say to the students, I think you're wrong. I think you're dead wrong. Mm. You will love virtualization so much in your test and dev that it is inevitable. It's a force of yeah, nature yeah, yeah. That, people will, yeah. that people want to do mm. in production. The idea of going back to physicalization mm, mm. Is, is an anathema. And I used to say to some of the students, when I, towards the end of my training career, I have not installed Windows to a physical box in seven years. And they'd look at me in like kind <laughs> of great, horror. Yeah, that's a great but stuff. I thought, this is brilliant, yeah. because I'm so immersed in this world. Mm. The idea that once, that once a customer gave me a HP Smart Start CD to install Windows to a physical box, <laughs> and I just, I just pretended that I didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So you, you, you want me to put Windows on the physical machine. Like sending a fax, eh? So, yeah, <laughs> I just send with a fax. So you want me yeah. to put this piece of paper uh, yeah. through this box and the paper arrives on, what Doesn't will they right. think of next? <laughs> you know, is this called physicalization? Mm. Is this a new thing that's gonna <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I take your point. I think the other advantage mm. of what you're saying is, it's a place for us, the people who have to support this, to learn on. Mm. So if you're mm. supporting the cloud directory in a test and dev environment, and you come across something that doesn't work for you, or something that you haven't designed correctly, or even a bug, let's just face it, it means that when you come to do that in production, you've been yeah. through the wheel already. And if mm. you see that bug or error, you've, you've been wrought in the white heat of supporting in test and mm. dev. Mm. That value I you've see, earned stripes, you've earned your thing? stripes. Yeah. And I think it's not just proving to the business that it's worthwhile, mm. it's giving you the reassurance and confidence. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. start, it starts with the home lab, mm. it starts with you playing around with the software and saying we should use this in our test and dev, and then it goes from test to dev in production. So in a weird way, I think in the VMware community, the test and dev, the, the home lab, is the proof of concept that no business actually sees. Mm. And we come to the business and say, shouldn't we be doing this? Here's my last thought on it. It's about change. And I came out with this phrase just before the London V mode. Yeah. Is um, it a tabloid headline? It's phrase, a tabloid headline. I love them. And the phrase is all change is disruptive. And if it isn't disruptive, it isn't change. Mm. So, by definition, anything that's new, if it isn't upsetting yeah. things, yep. then it isn't change. Yes. So, I used to think what I did was manage and introduce change. I don't think that anymore. What I now do is disrupt things. Mm. So that means you have to be the person who comes in and says, we should be doing this. And you should expect people to go, we're not happy about yeah, this. Yeah. We're not interested about it. The skill comes in handling that disruption mm, mm, and mm. trying to convince your peers and the business that that disruption 
will actually have benefits yeah, at the other end. So yeah. rather than being agents of change, which was a buzzword, <laughs> yeah, I think, I was of HP, that, change artists, I think HP used to say, I'm, I'm an agent of disruption. That sounds much better, yeah. It sounds much like kind of, I'm coming in and ripping her in. Evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, evil laugh. So, but um, it's funny because a number of times people say, oh, it's very disruptive, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, yes, it's called change. Welcome to it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, if, if it isn't disruptive, then you're not changing anything. What you're mm-hmm. voting for is status quo. For steady as she goes, we'll keep things mm-hmm. as we're going. But in the context of Ecloud Director, I think um, a lot of people said, oh, it's a difficult product to sell this. And I've said to people, all of these products that sit on top core virtualization are difficult to sell because the real value, mm, immediate value, is in virtualization. Mm. Not everyone is going to be beneficial from virtual desktops. Mm. Not everyone is going to want SRM. Not everyone is going to want yeah, yeah. So they're, they're products that are harder to sell and promote and get the companies to adopt because you, you really need a very good usage case for it to happen. Unlike virtualization, which is such a no-brainer, anybody not doing it really seriously needs their head examining. Whereas the other technologies and auto automation tools that sit mm. on top, mm. they're harder to sell because you have to be somewhere. I mean, yeah, for example, yeah. SRM. You know, in a test and dev, low-hanging fruit environment, why do you need a DR plan for something that mm. isn't business critical? It's only now we're seeing people put tier one line of business applications mm. in virtual, which if they don't work or are not available, yeah, there's yeah. a serious issue that it focused the mind, it rarefies, yeah. it purifies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and people yeah. say, we really need to think about protecting yeah, yeah. this stuff now. That's something that yeah. VMware can't engineer. It's down no, to customers no, no. being on that journey mm. and mm. being at a certain point in that journey where they go, you know what? We're really ready for something like mm. Cloud Director mm. or we're really ready for something like uh, virtual desktops, for example. Yeah, yeah. And so different customers have different priorities based on what they're trying to a- achieve, you know. Mm. For, for a customer base that has everybody on one site, you know, with no roaming users, the virtual desktops is quite a difficult oh, yeah, no, environment. No. Roaming users all over the place, there's loads of branch offices. Mm, and now then yeah, becomes a much more. No it's mm. not like uh, like VMware has any control over that usage case. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, customer yeah, has to bring it yeah. to us, and then we have to try and think what well, we think mm-hmm. this particular offering suits you. And that's why I think it's a harder process. It's not just more po- political. Mm the immediate benefits aren't as realizable yeah, as, they yeah. are, as they are with core virtualization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're running out of battery. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, time to wrap up the show. I, I think, yeah, that's, that's a good thing, yeah. So, look, Mike, thank you very much. I'm honored to have you on a VChat, and I'm honored that you associate with the Chinwag as well. I, I really am, so thanks for... We need our two brand names in the yeah, logo. Yeah, thanks for everything you do. Keep doing it, don't stop, yeah. Thank and, um, yeah, I, I was really concerned about you joining VMware, I thought, oh, what's going to happen to Mike Laverick? But do you know what? You must, w- you, you must woke up one morning and, you know, you, you've gained an, a year or whatever, and that's all that's changed, nothing else. Yeah? Mm. So it was kind of funny, actually, when I joined it, I went from tiptoeing down to my home office on the Friday to tiptoeing down to my home office on the Monday. Nothing really <laughs> felt like it changed. I always almost wanted one more change so I could really mm. see that there was a difference between one era and another. I guess it'll be uh, different once I like, have to start turning up at an office as opposed to sort of working yeah. from home. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how long that's going to be. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I want to carry on doing the things I've always yeah. done. And you know, I think I, I'm meant to be the kind of linchpin into the community and you know, 
trying to inspire people to yeah, do things. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. I've got a ready-made audience of people who know me through RTFM education and the books and things like yeah, that. So yeah. for me, it's just extending on stuff I've done before. And now I'm on the inside of the house. What I'm trying to do is identify resources that we have and say, well, can we not share these? Mm -hmm. You know, if we take out some of the stuff that's IP-based or maybe competitive-based, there's a lot of resources internally in the con inside VMware which I feel could be shared, yeah. and I'm trying to be the, the funnel for getting that out. But uh, don't worry, I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll be. They look after me. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't worry cool. about that. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate yeah. you. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Bye, bye.